How many of you are familiar with the Dunning-Kruger effect? Maybe not very many. According to the Decision Lab, the Dunning-Kruger effect happens when a person's lack of knowledge and skills in a certain area cause them to overestimate their own competence. At five foot six and 270 pounds, the bank robber was impossible to miss. On April 19, 1995, he hit two Pittsburgh banks in broad daylight. Security cameras picked up good images of his face. He wore no mask and showed him holding a gun to the teller. Police made sure the footage was broadcast on the local 11 o'clock news and a tip came in within minutes. And just after midnight, the police were knocking on the suspect's door in McKeesport, Pennsylvania. Identified as MacArthur Wheeler, he was incredulous that he'd been caught. <laughs> but I wore the juice, he said. Wheeler told police he had rubbed lemon juice on his face to make it invisible to security cameras. Having seen that lemon juice could be used to make invisible ink on paper, he assumed the same thing would happen if he rubbed it on his face. Detectives later concluded that he was not delusional, not on drugs, just incredibly misinformed. That is the Dunning-Kruger effect in action. Another headline this week read, Guest checked in to his luxury Airbnb in Los Angeles, then refused to pay or leave. It's been 540 days. A wealthy immigrant from the Netherlands built this absolutely beautiful home in Brentwood in California and decided to make a little bit of money off the side by renting out the townhome next to their luxury home as an Airbnb. Someone came in, rented it for exactly six months, and then won't leave or pay and has been using the system against this poor wealthy immigrant. He thought that he understood how the Airbnb business went, and he thought he understood that tenants would respect his will. He was wealthy and wasn't used to getting played by somebody else. Also, the Dunning-Kruger effect, inefaction. The religious leaders of Jesus' day were in some ways victims also of the Dunning-Kruger effect. And Jesus was about to drop this fact on them like a 10,000-ton cornerstone. And it was either going to crush them, or they were going to stumble over it and break their neck. Those were the two options. How? Because they had profoundly overestimated their own righteousness. They were convinced that God needed them more than they needed him. And so Jesus tells them, as he was opt to do, a parable to show them that they were not experts in anything but unrighteousness. And thus we get one of the most beloved parables in the Gospel of Matthew. We get a master who goes away into another country and leaves his property to the tenants. Now, the Jewish authorities would have known about this sort of thing in their history because King Herod had done exactly that. Remember Herod? Him of the dead babies in Bethlehem? Yeah, he had left behind his lands and his territory so he could go to Rome, so that Rome could give him full authority over Judea and make him king in name, if not fully in fact. 
Now, this is not an unusual thing. And what would happen when a master of the house would leave is that the tenants who were working the land would give a portion of their harvest, there's your Thanksgiving tie-in, to the person that actually owned the land. See, they didn't have money back then the way we do. Money was a very scarce commodity. You might have had a few coins that you used really for only two things. One was to pay the taxes to the Roman government, and the second was to tithe to the temple, which is why the parable of the widow who loses her coin is so intense. It's not like she just lost one loony among hundreds of thousands. This is her tax money. It's her temple tithe money. So the way the tenants would pay is by a portion of their harvest. But this the tenants refused to do. Since the master is away, he sends servants to go and collect the harvest. The first servants get beaten, then some get killed, and then get, some of them get stoned. Now you might think, well, stoning is like killing, right? Why does Jesus draw attention to that? Because it was a ritual type of killing. It wasn't just quietly slitting somebody's throat or hanging them off the highest branch. He was literally burying them in the ground and then beating stones at them until they were dead. Everybody knew what was being done. You couldn't exactly just stone somebody quietly in a small corner of the village. Now, if you're the master, what would you do after your servants had been tortured and beaten and killed and stoned? I know what Olivia would tell me to do. Call the police! You call the armed forces, right? You send in the military. But no, this master thinks, well, maybe if I send them more servants. Maybe if I send them kinder servants, more gracious servants, more merciful servants, then maybe, maybe then they'll pay up. Which is exactly what he does. And of course, they end up getting killed as well. Now, at this point, you would think the master would come to his senses. I'm running out of servants. I've seen what's happened to them. I'm not interested in playing this game anymore. Now I'm going to really get serious. But no, this master of this vineyard is of such a character that he thinks, maybe if I sent my son, maybe they'll respect him. Now at this point, you should be asking yourself what planet this master lives on. And you might also be asking yourself, what did the son think of this plan? Yeah, Dad, um, I'm sure they'll respect me. <laughs> it's gone so swimmingly for everybody else that you've sent. We all know what happens when the son shows up. Not, gosh, maybe at this point we need to just pay up and call it a day. But no, let's kill the heir. Let's kill the pride and joy of the master because surely at that point he will have to give the entire vineyard to us. So let's recap. They've gotten away with murder literally up to this point. They've killed the servants of the master. Now they are going to kill the son and they assume that as a reward the master will give them the entire vineyard and say, oh, okay, you can just have everything. The audacity of these tenants. I can't think of any other word to use. They are convinced of their own righteousness. Who do they think they are? And that's the point of the parable, right? 
Not who do they think they are. Who do we think we are? Do we have the same level of audacity as those tenants to assume that God needs us more than we need him? To assume that somehow after everything we have thought, everything we have said, everything we have done, God's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've mistreated your fellow human beings. You've mistreated the creation that I've given to you. You have mistreated every good and perfect gift that I have bestowed on you. By all means, let me give you more. Do we have that level of audacity? Are we too subject to what you might call the religious Dunning-Kruger effect? To mildly paraphrase Jesus, unless your audacity is much less than that of the Jewish leaders, you and I will never enter the kingdom of God. It's not that the unrighteous are audacious as a special quality. It's that those who are audacious before God are, by definition, the unrighteous. It is what it means to be unrighteous. It is to stand up on your own two feet before God and make demands. It's to stand up before God and say, I want more. It's to stand up before God and say, send me more servants. And by all means, send us your son that we might kill him and have the inheritance. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. The main fruit of which is a recognition that we have nothing to be audacious about before God. We have nothing to put in our hands and carry to him. We have nothing to offer. And if anything, we need to repent of what we have tried to hold up to him and say, oh, look, look at the wonderful things that I have done, which Isaiah reminds us are nothing before God but filthy rags. James 4 Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5.5, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Galatians, where Paul says, do not be fooled by those who think they're something when they're nothing. And Proverbs 3.34, toward the scorners, he is scornful. But to the humble, he gives favor. Do not fall prey to the Dunning-Kruger effect. You and I are not all that. We don't deserve the kingdom. In fact, we have killed the heir. And God turns around and gives more grace. Because that is his character. It's always been his character. The God who sends servants instead of sending police. The God who sends the son instead of sending in the army. He has never changed that character. He continues to come to you and I and say, I offer you more grace and I will send you more messengers and I will send more people to call you through the gospel, the good news that no one may be separated from my love, that no one may come to know me as a judge, but instead all might know me as a God who desires to bestow gifts even on the 
unrighteous and audacious. Now, as it turns out, the Dunning-Kruger effect probably doesn't actually exist. Isn't this always the way of things with scientific ideas? It seems to be, at least according to some researchers at McGill University, where all good things come from, an artifact of experimentation. People sometimes underestimate or overestimate their expertise and whether they know a little or a lot or an average amount on a subject, it just seems to be that sometimes they think too highly or too lowly of themselves. But whether the Dunning-Kruger effect exists or not, hubris does. Pride is all too real. As Luther points out, the ambition to be divine is born in all of us. We want divine honor. Everyone wants to be so wise and powerful that they are ahead of everyone else. This is the ridiculousness of presuming that we are owed the kingdom of God. Even Paul needed a thorn in his side to remind him of his times of audaciousness. Peter had to unconfess Jesus three times before he could truly confess him and be his disciple. David had his Bathsheba, Sarah had her Hagar, Noah had his vineyard, and Adam had his apple. Do you really think in the face of all of those heroes of the faith, you can kill the heir and still inherit the kingdom? If you do, look out for that cornerstone because it's coming right for your head. Better we realize that God owes us nothing, nothing at all. It is we who owe him. For instead of wiping us all out, he continues to extend us grace, sending servant after servant after servant to proclaim the gospel and invite us unexpectedly into his kingdom and into his vineyard. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.